Thank you for tuning in to Songs of Praise from 3ABN Australia Radio. We trust you'll enjoy this musical selection to bring you peace, comfort and hope.
cradled in my arms, I held you, and I loved you more with each day passing by, sharing joy, sharing pain through the sunshine and the rain. I can't believe it's time to say goodbye. I don't know what the future will bring you, but I hope that you'll keep heaven as your goal. For we've taught you how to pray. We made sure you knew. So remember my request before you go. Just be there when I finally make it home and I stand before the throne. Just be there when I look around to see if you are still. Thank、you.
Songs of praise endeavours to draw your heart, mind and soul to a close relationship with your Saviour, Jesus Christ.
He's everything to me. He's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul. The lily of the valley, in him alone I see. All I need to cleanse and make me fully whole. In sorrow he's my comfort, in trouble he's my stay. He tells me every care on him to roll. He's a lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's a fairest of ten thousand to my soul. Oh, he all my griefs has taken and all my sorrows borne. In temptation he's my strong and mighty tower. I have all for him forsaken and all my idols torn. From my heart and now he keeps me by his power. Though all the world forsake me, and Satan tempt me sore, through Jesus I shall safely reach the goal. He's a lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's a fairest of ten thousand to my soul. He will never, never leave me, nor yet forsake me here, while I live my faith and do His blessed will. A wall of fire about me, I've nothing now to fear. With his manna he my hungry soul shall fill. Then sweeping up to glory, to see his blessed face, where rivers of delight shall ever roll. He's a lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's a fairest of ten thousand to my soul. 
If you're enjoying this music, encourage your friends to listen to this program each week. I dreamed of a city
Amen. Let's sing it together. Jerusalem, let's stand together. We'll sing. Wherever you are tonight, join us in singing.
invite your family and friends to also enjoy songs of praise.
thought of my life was a cold, deep, dark place, confusing, painful, alone. My eyes could not focus, no joy filled my thoughts. Anger and pain seemed to reign on my heart's throne. Then I heard of God's love, I tasted relief, I felt healing hands touch my soul. Now I can see, Christ died for me. He took my shame, he changed my name, I am free. He broke the chains that held me there, his love. Surrounds me everywhere He will supply my every care I am not alone Now I am free Christ came down to earth To fulfill God's own plan Promised, foretold, and true Crucified on that cross Paid all sin's cost He bids you welcome to come Be made new I was blind on that day But his healing clay made me whole My scales fell away Now I can see Christ died for me, he took my shame, he changed my name, I am free, he broke the chains that held me there, his love surrounds me everywhere, he will supply my
must tell Jesus all of my troubles. He is a kind, compassionate friend. If I but ask him, he will deliver. Mix up my troubles with me. Yeah.
We here at 3ABN Australia Radio are delighted to share songs of praise with you. We look forward to your company next time. Welcome to 3ABN Australia Radio's book reading program. The book Christ's Object Lessons, written by Ellen White, presents the parables of Jesus in a fresh light, showing their application to Christian living today. In this devotional classic, Ellen White explores the depths of the best-loved teachings of Jesus, offering a deeply spiritual understanding of the parables of Christ as they apply to our lives today. You'll enjoy the practical applications in a way that touches your heart. Listen now as Clive Nash reads. Continuing the chapter, Lost and is Found. This section is about the prodigal son. The glitter and tinsel that enticed him have disappeared, and he feels the burden of his chain. Sitting upon the ground in that desolate and famine-stricken land, with no companions but the swine, he is fain to fill himself with the husks on which the beasts are fed. Of the gay companions who flocked about him in his prosperous days, and ate and drank at his expense, there is not one left to befriend him. Where now is his riotous joy? Stilling his conscience, benumbing his sensibilities, he thought himself happy. But now, with money spent, with hunger unsatisfied, with pride humbled, with his moral nature dwarfed, with his will weak and untrustworthy, with his finer feelings seemingly dead, he is the most wretched of mortals. What a picture here of the sinner's state. Although surrounded with the blessings of his love, There is nothing that the sinner, bent on self-indulgence and sinful pleasure, desires so much as separation from God. Like the ungrateful son, he claims the good things of God as his by right. He takes them as a matter of course and makes no return of gratitude, renders no service of love. As Cain went out from the presence of the Lord to seek his home, as the prodigal wandered into the far country, so do sinners seek happiness in forgetfulness of God. Romans 1.28 Whatever the appearance may be, every life centred in self is squandered. Whoever attempts to live apart from God is wasting his substance. He is squandering the precious years, squandering the powers of mind and heart and soul, and working to make himself bankrupt for eternity. The man who separates from God that he may serve himself is the slave of mammon. The mind that God created for the companionship of angels has become degraded to the service of that which is earthly and bestial. This is the end to which self-serving tends. If you have chosen such a life, you know that you are spending money for that which is not bread, and labour for that which satisfieth not. There come to you hours when you realise your degradation. Alone in the far country you feel your misery, and in despair you cry, O wretched man that I am! Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Romans 7.24 It is the statement of a universal truth which is contained in the prophet's words, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. For he shall be like the heath in the desert, and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land and not inhabited. Jeremiah 17 verses 5 and 6 God maketh his sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. 
Matthew 5, verse 45. But men have the power to shut themselves away from sunshine and shower. So, while the sun of righteousness shines, and the showers of grace fall freely for all, we may, by separating ourselves from God, still inhabit the parched places in the wilderness. The love of God still yearns over the one who has chosen to separate from him, and he sets in operation influences to bring him back to the father's house. The prodigal son, in his wretchedness, came to himself. The deceptive power that Satan had exercised over him was broken. He saw that his suffering was the result of his own folly, and he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. Miserable as he was, the prodigal found hope in the conviction of his father's love. It was that love which was drawing him toward home. So it is the assurance of God's love that constrains the sinner to return to God. The goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Romans 2 verse 4. A golden chain, the mercy and compassion of divine love, is passed around every imperiled soul. The Lord declares, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Jeremiah 31 verse 3. The son determines to confess his guilt. He will go to his father, saying, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But he adds, showing how stinted is his conception of his father's love, Make me as one of thy hired servants. The young man turns from the swineherds and the husks and sets his face toward home. Trembling with weakness and faint from hunger, he presses eagerly on his way. He has no covering to conceal his rags, but his misery has conquered pride and he hurries on to beg a servant's place where he was once a child. Little did the gay thoughtless youth, as he went out from his father's gate, dream of the ache and longing left in the father's heart. When he danced and feasted with his wild companions, little did he think of the shadow that had fallen on his home. And now, as with weary and painful steps he pursues the homeward way, he knows not that one is watching for his return. But while he is yet a great way off, the father discerns his form. Love is of quick sight. Not even the degradation of the years of sin can conceal the son from the father's eyes. He had compassion and ran and fell on his neck in a long, clinging, tender embrace. The father will permit no contemptuous eye to mock at his son's misery and tatters. He takes from his own shoulders the broad, rich mantle and wraps it around the son's wasted form. And the youth sobs out his repentance, saying, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. The father holds him close to his side and brings him home. No opportunity is given him to ask a servant's place. He is a son who shall be honoured with the best the house affords and whom the waiting men and women shall respect and serve. The father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry.
In his restless youth, the prodigal looked upon his father as stern and severe. How different his conception of him now. So those who are deceived by Satan look upon God as hard and exacting. They regard him as watching to denounce and condemn, as unwilling to receive the sinner so long as there is a legal excuse for not helping him. His law they regard as a restriction upon men's happiness, a burdensome yoke from which they are glad to escape. But he whose eyes have been opened by the love of Christ will behold God as full of compassion. He does not appear as a tyrannical, restless being, but as a father longing to embrace his repenting son. The sinner will exclaim with the psalmist, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Psalm 103 verse 13. In the parable there is no taunting, no casting up to the prodigal of his evil course. The son feels that the past is forgiven and forgotten, blotted out forever. And so God says to the sinner, I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions, and as a cloud thy sins. Isaiah 44 verse 22. I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Jeremiah 31 verse 34. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Isaiah 55 verse 7. In those days, and in that time, saith the Lord, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought for, and there shall be none. And the sins of Judah, and they shall not be found. Jeremiah 50 verse 20. What assurance here of God's willingness to receive the repenting sinner, have you, reader, chosen your own way? Have you wandered far from God? Have you sought to feast upon the fruits of transgression, only to find them turn to ashes upon your lips? And now your substance spent, your life plans thwarted, and your hopes dead, do you sit alone and desolate? Now that voice which has long been speaking to your heart, but to which you would not listen, comes to you distinct and clear, Arise ye! And depart, for this is not your rest, because it is polluted. It shall destroy you, even with a sore destruction. Micah 2 verse 10. Return to your father's house. He invites you, saying, Return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. Isaiah 44 verse 22. Do not listen to the enemy's suggestion to stay away from Christ until you have made yourself better, until you are good enough to come to God. If you wait until then, you will never come. When Satan points to your filthy garments, repeat the promise of Jesus, Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. John 6 verse 37. Tell the enemy that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin. Make the prayer of David your own. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Psalm 51 verse 7. Arise, and go to your father. He will meet you a great way off. If you take even one step toward him in repentance, he will hasten to enfold you in his arms of infinite love. His ear is open to the cry of the contrite soul. The very first reaching out of the heart after God is known to him. Never a prayer is offered, however faltering. Never a tear is shed, however secret. Never a sincere desire after God is cherished, however feeble but the Spirit of God goes forth to meet it. 
Even before the prayer is uttered, or the yearning of the heart made known, grace from Christ goes forth to meet the grace that is working upon the human soul. Your Heavenly Father will take from you the garments defiled by sin. In the beautiful parabolic prophecy of Zechariah, the high priest Joshua, standing clothed in filthy garments before the angel of the Lord, represents the sinner. And the word is spoken by the Lord, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. So they set a fair mitre upon his head, and clothed him with garments. Zechariah 3, verses 4 and 5. Even so, God will clothe you with the garments of salvation, and cover you with the robe of righteousness. Isaiah 61, verse 10. Though ye have lean among the pots, yet shall ye be as the wings of a dove, covered with silver, and her feathers with yellow gold. Psalm 68, verse 13. He will bring you into his banqueting house, and his banner over you shall be love. Canticles 2, verse 4. If thou wilt walk in my ways, he declares, I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by, even among the holy angels that surround his throne. Zechariah 3, verse 7. As the bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. Isaiah 62, verse 5. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. Zephaniah 3, verse 17. And heaven and earth shall unite in the Father's song of rejoicing. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Join us again next time as Clive Nash continues to read from the book Christ's Object Lessons, written by Ellen G. White. enjoy the short presentation of how God led his people after the Reformation from lineagejourney.com. When Ellen White was 18 years old, one of the biggest problems that she faced was the matter of transportation. She was young and in poor health, and when she traveled, she needed one or two attendants. James White was fully convinced that her work and experience was of God and felt it his duty to travel with her. 
1845, they traveled together a lot, but apparently neither of them had ever thought of getting married. But as they took the matter to the Lord, they were both convinced that God had a great work for them to do together and that they could each assist one another. Thus on Sunday, August the 30th, 1846, James Springer White and Ellen Gould Harmon stood before Charles Harding, Justice of the Peace in Portland, Maine, and were married. They were aged 26 and 19, respectively. They entered their marriage penniless, with few friends, broken in health, but with the deep conviction that God had a work for them to do together, and their belief in the message was unshakable. Their first place of abode would be the Harmon home in Gorham, Maine, just outside Portland. Through the course of their marriage, they lived in Maine, New York, here in this house in Michigan, Colorado, California, Connecticut, and Iowa. They traveled thousands of miles together by horse-drawn carriages and sleds, and later on by trains. Their whole marriage evolved around ministry, sacrificing time, means, and money for the cause. Through the many trials and obstacles that they encountered, they still managed in their marriage to survive and thrive. The chances of divorce increase greatly when one or a combination of the following factors are present. Financial issues, poverty, losing a child, when one of the partners suffers a serious illness, when one gets a promotion, especially the woman, and adultery. Apart from adultery, the whites would experience all of these. They started out in abject poverty, with James doing hard labor and working long hours. The printing press was sometimes in debt, but they would continue on. They lost John Herbert, their child, in his infancy at a very young age, and Henry died at the age of 16. James suffered a few strokes that brought about a personality change, but through all of this, they maintained their love for each other. Despite having all these factors that would have raised the likelihood of divorce, they pulled through. Sometimes Ellen doesn't know what is going on, and yet the letters between the two of them reveal a side to their marriage that is often not seen. They are filled with lots of tender love phrases and show that they were convicted that they should be together. James was extremely driven and prone to overwork, and Ellen herself persevered through some very hard times, and yet the union of these two will go on to have an impact that will be seen only in eternity. They had some marriage challenges as well, but they did not just exist unhappily together. Their love for each other ran deep, and kept them together until James died at the relatively young age of 61. He died early due to overwork, literally working himself to an early grave. After his death, some church officials visited Ellen White and suggested they put a broken shaft over his grave, signifying that his work was cut short and that no one else could complete his work. Ellen White responded, never, never, he has single-handedly done the work of three men. Never shall a broken monument be put over his grave. Her affection for him ran deep, 
and she ensured that even in his death, his legacy would be remembered well. The marriage of the whites stands as an example of the power of God to overcome all the obstacles that are thrown in the way when two become one. If you are facing challenges in your relationships or marriage, then know that God is powerful and able to rescue the most helpless of cases and bring joy amidst sorrow. For more episodes in the series, visit lineagejourney.com.